He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the King Speed Podcast. I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez. Brendan, what's going on? You you have all kinds of titles. So uh, we've got the King's Herald. We've got the King's Pulse Podcast. Uh, we've got like, I, you're, you're probably going to win some sort of Rookie of the Year trophy, even though we don't really do that, but uh, Rookie of the Year media trophy. But uh, what's going on, Brendan? Well, now I'm expecting a trophy, James, but, you know, I'll, I'll take, like, some sort <laughs> everyone of your age merch, expects, I guess. Everyone your age expects a trophy, Brendan. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Um, I'm doing good, James. I'm rejuvenated in watching some Kings basketball. There's new things to look for, which I think has me intrigued. Uh, even if that Brooklyn game wasn't their best showing, um, I think they're just being this newness to the roster uh, post-trade deadline is exciting for me. So I'm good. Thanks for having me on, man. I saw what you did there. Some newness to the roster. Brendan Nunes. That was intentional, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, all right. So before we get started with the show, we've got so much ground to cover uh, in the show, but also um, other stuff to cover outside of the show. So if you're watching on YouTube, uh, first things first, um, go down and give us a thumbs up. And if you aren't a subscriber on the YouTube channel, go down and hit subscribe. Uh, secondly, if you're not a premium subscriber to the King's Beat, then you will not be getting the invite to our latest happy hour, which will be Thursday night, uh, this coming Thursday, February 17th from 530 to 7. And uh, it's, I, you know, I love these long titles, so I, I'm just going to keep extending the titles out. Uh, this one is off the record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 3, The Search for Jerry. Uh, Jerry Reynolds will be joining us for the show, which should be absolutely spectacular. We're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff um, going all the way back to when he joined the team in 1985 and uh, until his retirement uh, two years ago. Um, so much good stuff to cover with Jerry. I'm really excited. Uh, I hope Jerry has a beer or two and we get a little loose. Uh, maybe he starts cursing on the air, which I love uh, when Jerry curses um, because I see that, but the rest of you guys don't get to see that. Uh, so yeah, I was it, surprised by that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be amazing. But if you are not a premium subscriber, you will not get the invite. And I'm super excited. Last time we had, um, I think it was over 60 people in the stream and it, it ends up being sort of like a comedy show, just so everyone knows. That's kind of the format. And it's all virtual. Uh, so jump on board with a premium subscription. Um, Jerry's got still, some Indiana insight, too. He does have some Indiana insight. And I know more about his upbringing and the way, like, there's some crazy stuff we're going to discuss with Jerry. Um Because I don't think everyone, like, he's from French Lick, Indiana, and so is Larry Bird. But they're not uh, like random people who happen to be from the same city or the same town because I don't think you can call French Lick a, a city. I think it's more like a small town. Um, and 
him and Larry Bird are very close, uh, and we're going to tell that story because um, his his relationship is longstanding with Larry Bird and and sort of watching the rise of of Larry Bird. He got to do it firsthand. Uh, we're also going to we're working on streaming this on Discord. Again, the Discord channel is for premium subscribers. Um, if you don't get the the memo here, become a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. Uh, that's where you you get fully unlocked with everything. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna start doing this probably either on Thursday or we'll start it next week, where we're gonna stream on the uh, the private Discord channel for for premium subscribers to the King's Beat. Uh, lastly, when it comes to the business side. Um, we got new merch and so we're about to open the merch shop. I think I'm probably going to do it, uh, on Tuesday, um, today. And, uh, so if you haven't seen the new merch, uh, we got hats coming, which you can see over my shoulder, but the hats aren't in quite yet. Um, but this is one of our sweatshirts. This is the King's Beat Fire Nice sweatshirt, which, uh, I think is sick. Uh, big shout out to my my guy Jim over at Brickhouse Industries, who is doing all kinds of creative things for us here at the King's Beat, and uh, so you're gonna be able to get merch. We got a couple of different varieties of t-shirts and sweatshirts and all that stuff. Um, and I'll probably during the happy hour, if you are a premium subscriber, I'll throw out a discount code. Uh, so for all those people who are gonna be on the happy hour. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll just say this. I'm going to give away two sweatshirts and two t-shirts. How about that? Uh, during the happy hour. So people who are in the happy hour, um, I'm going to do some giveaways, uh, of some of the new merch like this. And, um, and then I'm going to give promo codes. So if you are a premium subscriber, you'll save, you'll save some cash if you want to go in and buy some of, uh, the merchandise. Um, lastly, uh, Sean Cunningham is is on hiatus. Uh, we're hoping to have Sean come back uh, in the relative new near future. Um, but for right now, Brennan's stepping in, and he's going to be uh, the King's Beat podcast partner for a little while. And uh, I'm happy to have Brennan. Brennan uh, is a shiny, bright light in the up-and-coming new media world in Sacramento. And uh, you guys should make sure that you're following him there. Brennan Nunez, MBA, on Twitter, um, and also his work at uh the king's pulse uh brennan is opening up a uh, patreon for his pod um and man it's super affordable so jump on board with brendan it's really good stuff brendan where do they find your pod yeah it's uh every major listening platform for podcasts and then i'm doing youtube just as you are so youtube is uh kicking off these last couple episodes kind of took a decent jump and yeah, a lot, a lot has taken a jump for me in general over this last year. And it was good to hear you, you know, we hung out a little bit on Super Bowl Sunday and it was good to hear you say that that was the busiest week of the year because I was like, this has to be ridiculous, right? I was all over the place for that week, but got through it and I think it went well. So yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve. Like when you, you jump into this job, there's a huge learning curve and, uh, it, you, there are weeks during the year that are just like my wife knows just James is gone. There's a like six month period where my neighbors think that I like moved out um, because normally I'm outside. I garden. Um, I, I do like my own landscaping and I do a bunch of work around the house and I'm super busy for like a huge section of the year. And then boom, it's like I completely vanish and they're like, 
where have you been? They, they see me walk the dogs or something. I'm like, man, we haven't seen you in like three months. Uh, that's called the NBA season. And uh, luckily, it's, well, I mean, for my own sanity, it, it usually runs from like mid-September until April 15th, and then it cuts off because the Kings don't make the playoffs and don't go any further. In past years, I've covered the Warriors all the way, you know, until they stop, which sometimes uh, means champagne corks and champagne bottles in uh, in a locker room. Um, but uh, luckily, I, I don't have to cover the Warriors this year, which is good for me. Um, but Brennan, it's tough. And the one thing I'll point out is that you you kind of have to be ready for this. Uh, the week of the draft is crazy. Uh, the buildup to the draft is always crazy. But then the week of the draft, and then boom, they hit you with free agency right afterwards. And so those are massive chaotic times and, and at least as busy as a trade deadline. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but they're all exciting at the same time. While they're busy and overwhelming at the same time, it's exciting. I think that, uh, yeah, just with it being from a different perspective and I guess different level of like responsibility, I'm placing myself on myself with all the content and, and uh, yeah, conversations and such and, and availability to different people like we just talked to Monty McNair um, post-trade deadline and all of those things. It adds a lot, but those are, while they're overwhelming and can be a lot, those are also some of the most exciting times. So certainly not complaining. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's what you need to keep telling yourself, um, which, you know, uh, you get into a groove and you figure it out. And, and over years, you start to develop sort of, uh, number one, you have a, every you have templates for everything, which is something you'll build. Um, having templates is, is a good thing to go in and be able to just, you know, not rewrite what you did last year, but you already have it framed out. So it goes quicker. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, man, it's an adventure and I'm excited to see you grow into this adventure. And again, Brendan, you got to come up uh, and hang out at, at the Casa de Ham. Um, you like the bar? Of course. How could I not? Spilled a drink all over it. It was great. Oh yeah, yeah, Brendan. <laughs> he did spill. He did a rookie move and dropped a rum and coke all over my bar. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, look, it it happens, right? It happens. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's get into this, Brendan. Um, I'm just gonna throw it to you here. Uh, that was is that your first official press conference with Monty McNair live? Um, I had him. Yes, because I did the Zoom call when it was the Walton and Gentry swap, but I did not see him in person. Okay, and what were your takeaways? What what, what was it, the thing that stood out to you like right away? Is there anything that just popped? Um, I think that like Monty has this almost awkwardness to him. Um, you know, I, he seems like a very smart guy. It's nothing to do with that. Um. I just think that personality-wise, you're not getting much out of him. It's very, you almost get the feeling of like, if Monty didn't have to do these pressers, that he wouldn't. Um, but it, I mean, the things that he says when it comes to that, that like, they're not being short-sighted, um, you know, that the idea is that there are people that they acquired that fit the culture that they're trying to build that will go into years past this, that if they happen to win out and go to the play-in in these next 23, 24, 25 games, whatever it was at the time, um, that that's great, but that's not the long-term goal with this team and that they're thinking further ahead. 
Um, so when it comes to Monty McNair, the person, I think that you just don't get all too much personality from him. Um, and then when it comes to his team building, it's just glad to hear that he's thinking a little bit further ahead, even though there was definitely some building pressure, at least from the fan base when it came to his position. So I ran into Monty during the, the buildup to trade deadline and he looked bedraggled. Like he, uh, his beard had like grown down his neck. Uh, his, his, even up on top, uh, it had like, he, he wasn't all clean shaven like he normally is. Uh, he looked exhausted. And I, I think that happens. Number one, when you have three kids under the age of like five, which he does have at home. Um, but I think it also happens when there's so much pressure and buildup. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, Brennan, uh, because I've seen quite a few of these, right? Uh, and I, I think the biggest thing was they had him set up on a stage, which I thought, was, like, we've seen that set up before. Uh, you haven't been in, in there for that, but that set up, we've seen it before. Uh, shout out to, I think it was Fox that sent a guy late, a cameraman late, who jacked up everyone's audio. Um, luckily, I wasn't like tapped into the molt box like everyone else was. Uh, but yeah, it got crazy there for a little while. I was screaming mics and like 15 minutes into the press conference. Monty's um, doing mic checks and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got, got a little crazy. But Brennan, my thing was uh, when you have a press conference with a general manager and he's flanked by like the three guys that he just traded for, this one, okay, first of all, it would have taken, like, it It literally would have looked like um, The Last Supper because there would have been, like, Monty with, like, six people all leaning in around him uh, if we had everyone involved because he brought in so many different pieces. Uh, it would have been, like, an, an awkward situation. But they're also in the Sacramento era and the Vivek Ranadive era. There are other times where they allow Vivek up there. They allow other people up there with Monty. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway from this one is that it was Monty by himself on a stage with an eight foot table surrounding him, one microphone, one giant Kings thing right in front of him. This is his show. He made the decision. He's the one who's taking ownership for a drafting Tyrese Halliburton and B trading Tyrese Halliburton. He's the one who's taking credit for, Domantis Sabonis and the other five players that he brought in. Uh, I, I thought that that, if that might have been the best moment for Monty, is that this was his moment. It wasn't anyone else's. And I know that that's not the case behind the scenes. I know that, you know, that uh, Wes Wilcox had huge input in this and uh, Ken Catanella and uh, uh, they're, they just have they have other front office people. Joe Dumars had part of this conversation. Vivek had part of this conversation as well. But at some point, Monty has to take accountability for this team and the fact that he is the guy. And at some point, he has to like this. For me, it was a good moment for him just to be there by himself. Did, did you capture that? Yeah, I think that I went into it expecting that, um, but it was, yeah, to hear um, you say that, it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, the whole show and focus was Monty. There wasn't even those other guys standing off on the side or anything. Um, you went into it thinking that we might have more than Monty there. 
I went into it at least expecting other people to be there because a lot of times, like, they like to be even what you said, even if it wasn't at the table, they like to be in the room. Like, they like to be around almost like, oh, yeah, you see, we're all part of this. Right. And that's not what we saw. I mean, it was media relations and it was money and some audio guys who were panicking because people had screwed up their audio. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, it came down to is like this really small group. And that's not what we're used to. Like, they, everyone wants to take credit in Sacramento. Mm. And I think maybe this one, some people didn't want to take credit because they did take a big risk. But as far as his words, was was there anything that stood out to you that, that you liked or you didn't like about the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like we got all that much. Um, like, I, I think that, which kind of seems to be a theme with Monty, from what I can tell in these last couple like I said I was on the zoom earlier this year with the coach swap and then I've I've heard some of his things previously like anytime he goes on the radio like you just don't seem to get all too much from him um, but I, I think like I said earlier him being very clear that he feels like it's more than just this year that, that they're really focusing on and even to the point of like it wasn't that we don't care about the play-in but I, I very much got the impression of like that is not the point of what we did right now. Um, I think that they are obviously chasing that. They'd, they'd love to make the play-in and eventually make the postseason and end this drought, obviously. But I think you very much got the impression that it's about more than that for McNair, that he's trying to go longer than that, that he's more future-sighted. And the two guys that obviously stand out in that are Sabonis and Dante DiVincenzo. Um, and then you heard him talk about like competitiveness and toughness when he's talking about the culture that he's trying to build. I think those were the two words that he really highlighted. And I think you've seen that with, with some of the guys coming in, but yeah, I think the idea that he's more focused on the future and not being too short sighted and worried about building a culture because up to this point in McNair's tenure, we haven't seen any sort of culture. I don't know what you would say the identity of this team is, so I think trying to finally cement that, you know, we're we're finally seeing a team that he built that isn't just carryover. I think that that's such a good point. We're seeing a team that is down to, it's really, it's De'Aaron Fox, it's Rashawn Holmes, it's Harrison Barnes, right? I, there, I don't think there's any other carryover besides that at this point. And even of that group, he signed Holmes and Fox to extensions. Um, and brought them back. I mean, he signed, well, Holmes was in, uh, he, he brought him back in free agency, but um, Fox was an extension. Um, so yeah, I, I got that, that memo due. Uh, and the toughness thing, like that should have been addressed before because we knew last year this team was soft and they came into this season and did not make, you know, they brought in guys that can be tough guys, guys like Tristan Thompson, but you have to be a tough guy who can actually step on the floor. And that's the problem. The tough guys that they do have or they did have on this team, they weren't playing. They weren't playing minutes. They weren't part of the plan. And now Sabonis is a tough guy. And he's playing. And Justin Holiday is is physical, and he's playing. And Dante DiVincenzo is physical, and he's playing. And so I, I think that that's the biggest thing, that we're, we're seeing guys, you know, Davion is a physical player, and now we have more of a runway for him to get more minutes and stuff. Um, I, I definitely think that we're seeing that cultural change. That cultural change had to happen uh, in, in order for this team to move forward. Just because 
you know, they uh, they have a propensity to just absolutely disappear in games, and you just no one feels them at all. How many times have we heard a head coach say, you know, they have to feel you? Like, even if it's just touching someone the whole time, they have to know you're there, and our players don't do that. And so I, I think it's a good thing that we're seeing sort of a, a shift in that because if not, you're just always going to be who you are. You're always going to be soft, and teams are going to know that. And some night you can get hot and beat teams, and other night you can't. And you get run over. Um, so I, I think all of that's good. Is there? Uh, we're going to get to Sabonis. We're going to get to Fox and Sabonis and, and Barnes in a little while. But when it comes to these, uh, the one other guy that they brought in that I think we can circle and say he's such a huge part of what this team is doing moving forward. Um, I think that's Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, he's 25 years old. The Kings thought they traded for him. Uh, a summer and a half ago, well, two summers ago, uh, when they they lost out on uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and they when they had him traded to to Milwaukee for uh, Dante, what do you like? What do you like, or what do you? I mean, you can even what do you dislike about what you're seeing so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the easy like is his defensive versatility, his defensive IQ, and, and aggression on that end, like. Alvin talked about he thinks he can guard one, twos, and threes. I think we saw that um, a, a little bit in that Brooklyn game. He was guarding some of the bigger guys. Even in um, the Washington game, there's moments where he's against Kyle Kuzma, and then the next possession he's against Ish Smith, and I think he does like a fine job on both of them. Um, so I think that like that's the clear, obvious one. And, and what we've heard recently is that this team has a bunch of high IQ guys now, right? Which it's so funny how quick that transition happened. Because if you said that a week ago, is it though? (laughs) No, like we we know who who left that didn't fit that mold, right? But it it, it's weird to hear after what was going on a week ago, and I think Dante fits into that high IQ mold, um, specifically defensively, and obviously just when it comes to getting him for Marvin Bagley, like that's amazing value. He's headed into restricted free agency. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo will Bagley as well. Um, but offensively, Dante's sometimes frustrating so far. Um, it's still early, and I think that he's a streaky three-point shooter. I think that we've already gotten a taste of the experience of why you've seen Milwaukee fans be frustrated with Dante DiVincenzo, um, specifically when he's surrounded by guys like Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. I could see why these somewhat overconfident three-point shots that he's putting up can be frustrating um and you've seen a handful of them in these two games that he's played with Sacramento um for me like I I don't hate the confidence from him or anything like that I think that some of them have been okay and you know in that first Washington game post game he said that uh he didn't know anything they were running on offense he was just kind of feeling it out so I get that there is some sort of still just growing pain that's part of these shots but when he's coming down and taking an off the dribble three with 18 seconds left on the shot clock I'm like "Uh, did we really have to throw that one up you know like it's an okay shot but I'm not feeling great about an okay look when you still have 15 or more seconds left on the shot clock so defensively I love it offensively just calm it down a little bit but they do need guys that are willing to get it up from three at the same time yeah, like we had that one sequence where I think he shot three three-pointers in like eight seconds. Um, he missed the first one. I think it flew back to him. He got the rebound. 
he missed it again. Someone else got the rebound, threw it back to him. He missed again. And he airballed uh, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, I think he's had two or three airballs already. Um, we were looking at this stat beforehand. Do you like him as – do you like when he pulls up? Or because I'm more of when – I, when I watch him, his three-point shooting reminds me a little bit of De'Aaron Fox where I don't think the mechanics are bad. I think that where they lose it is when they're, they're going off the dribble. Like if their feet are set, I think he's a pretty solid three-point shooter. I, I certainly – he's not a good enough three-point shooter to pull up from 28 feet, which we saw – in in the Brooklyn game, I think one of them he pulled up from way outside. It's like, okay, man, like, look, it's okay when you're missing, but maybe we have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe Buddy Hield like like gave us a little bit of trauma when it comes to this. It's like the one for thirteen nights where uh, you think like he just keeps shooting, and you're like, what is happening? Uh, but I think we're trying to we're seeing a bunch of guys who are trying to get into rhythm, who are trying to find their their niche and their spot. They're trying to show up and and try to be impactful. Um, but when it comes to him as a shooter, how do you want him catch? How do you want him getting his shots? I mean, I think it just depends on the lineups he's out there with, because we've seen a lot of minutes where it's him and Mitchell. And there's no Fox or Sabonis. Uh, more than I think I would like, I think that we can kind of go away from those lineups. But I think the moments where that is happening and he's even initiating the offense, that I don't mind him like trying to punish defenders for going under screens, right? And pulling that off the dribble. Um, I don't think you need to do it every single time necessarily. Um, but I don't hate those. And I think that's what he did a lot in that Washington game. I felt like those first couple were we're kind of in that mold. Um, but I think ideally you have one or Fox or Sabonis on the floor at all times, which we heard Alvin say post game yesterday after that loss to Brooklyn and that Dante is catching or is uh, shooting off the catch. Um, you know, last year, 40% of his field goal attempts were catch and shoot threes and he shot 38% on them. 16% were pull-ups and he shot 37% on those. But obviously, like I said, much lower volume there on those pull-up threes. And um, he's a streaky shooter overall. But I think that, like you said, when you're in rhythm and able to get those catch-and-shoot looks, I think that that is what I very much would prefer. But I don't hate the decent looks of, like I said, running pick-and-roll and the defender goes under because that's him like trying to expand his game, right? Like Because if he can become a threat in that aspect on pull-up threes I, I think that you're talking about a different player with Dante DiVincenzo and a different level of ceiling so I don't hate him playing with trying to expand his game but only to a certain extent okay so there there are like three different things I want to I want to talk about here when it as we go through the the Dante DiVincenzo like small sample size that we've seen um number one I actually I saw fans complaining about this online uh, on Twitter uh, during the game. Uh, I think against uh, against Brooklyn. I actually like him as a point guard. I like him forcing uh, Davion to play off the ball more. I think he's already like he he's just more experienced and more natural as as a guy who can handle the ball and bring it up. He plays with pace. 
Um, what do you like him uh, as a as a one, a two, a three? And uh, even saying that, I, I do like the three guard sets. We saw we started seeing three guard sets with him and Fox and Mitchell, him and Holiday and Mitchell. Like I started the three guard sets are back, but I think they're back specifically because DiVincenzo can defend multiple positions where Buddy Hield couldn't defend a position. Um, let alone multiple positions. Uh, so, like, what do you are you comfortable with him being the primary, or do you want to see Mitchell like more as a primary? No, I think those guys can like split responsibilities, um, and I think that's kind of what we've seen in those lineups. Um, yeah, I think that Dante's a solid passer. You know, he was like upwards of three assists per game last year when he's the fourth option on that team in the at starting least. lineup. Yeah, at, at best, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there is potential there. I mean, I think that like when Fox and Sabonis out there, obviously those guys take priority over Dante. But I think that in lineups where those two maybe aren't out there, that Dante is probably your best option. Like I think that Davion has a lot to growth to, growth to do when it comes to uh, being a playmaker for his teammates. And um, I, I think that them kind of sharing the load there is is fine by me. I certainly don't mind Dante initiating the offense. I don't either. I like it. I actually think it might even might even take away some of the bad shots if he has more responsibilities uh, to get his his teammates involved and get everybody else you know kind of flowing. I think that might actually help him. Um, okay, so that brings me to question number two: starter or off the bench? Because I oh, we've seen a lot of him with Mitchell, and that's like crazy fun, but. I kind of like the idea of crazy fun in the starting lineup myself. I don't know where are you at with that. Yeah, I mean, I would start Dante. I I think that you could start DiVincenzo and Holiday, but between the two, I'm leaning towards DiVincenzo. And then in that, um, Harkless would be the one to get moved to the bench. Um, you know, Harkless isn't giving you that much when it comes to rebounding. I, like that's the what he provides with his size and. Obviously, there is the defense and him being the low man. I, I think that Albin's talked about him being the best low man defensively on the team, Harkless, that is. But um, I, I think the DiVincenzo should be in the starting lineup, whether that be next to Holiday or in place of Holiday. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I like what he provides. It gives him more opportunities to be in that catch-and-shoot role offensively, but also be a secondary um initiator or a guy that can kind of um hit the paint and make plays from there when it gets swung to him in an advantageous situations that fox or sabonis has created and let him focus more on being a disruptor and playmaker on the defensive end of the floor um so i, I certainly think that dante should be starting i i thought that he would be right away to be honest yeah to, to be honest with you, I, i'm with you i, I think I asked Alvin, is he going to, you know, what's he going to do? Is there a chance for that role to change? And the answer was yes, there's a chance for that role to change. We don't know what that looks like, but there is a chance for that role to change. And I mean, again, I think this team, the high level, uh, like when you add a high level player like Sabonis, everyone else has to step up. And then you're also going to rely on other guys to play, you know, guys that you've, that you know are veteran players to fill roles and you know the fact that Harrison Barnes can play the the three or the four I think is huge the fact that he hasn't been playing more four I think that's a huge disservice to this team 
this team has to go away from um, either young guys get it and they, they start doing what they need to do right away. And it's not just how many dunks you get. It A lot of times it's about, are you holding your own defensively? Does James Johnson like kick your ass every single time he gets the ball? And that's unacceptable. And we saw that in the Brooklyn game from Shemezi Metu. And so, again, it's this isn't a knock on Shemezi as much as he's got to continue to grow. I, I need to see more Harrison Barnes at the four. And that I, I need to see more three-guard sets if that's what you can do, especially with Holiday and DiVincenzo's ability to play that uh, the, the two and the three. Um, and then I, I need to see more Barnes at the four and less of other players. And that doesn't—like, I'm okay with Mo Harkless starting because he gives you much better length. Um, but I want Mo Harkless starting at the three. And even if—he still has to hit shots because if, if not, this team— I think that's what we're starting to see. Teams are like, oh, well, let's just clog the paint, and not only will we take away Fox's running lanes, we'll take away Sabonis' passing lanes. You know, you can't—there are no cutters when everyone's just packed in the paint. There's there's no open opportunity. So I guess it brings me to my last question about Dante. He is a restricted free agent this summer. Uh, I, he has the same qualifying offers as um, Mr. Bagley if uh, Bagley doesn't reach the starter criteria— which I don't think there's any way Bagley reaches a starter criteria, which we don't have to worry about anymore anyways because Marvin Bagley's no longer a member of the Sacramento Kings. But when it comes to DiVincenzo very specifically, um, his qualifying offers like $6.6 million. What do you think he's going to get in free agency? And I know what people thought he would get, but what they thought he would get and what he will get after the injury and everything else, I think they're two totally different things like I, I've got a number in my head but what are you thinking yeah you know I think that it's hard to identify like who would be comparable guys like I almost want to go to like a Joe Ingles like Jake Crowder and even then I mean there's a lot of difference between those two um it's hard. I, I think a lot does depend on how he closes this year because he's going to have a lot more opportunity. We're going to get to see how he's kind of recovering from this ankle injury that he went through. Um, I think that you're talking around ten million. I, I think like a four-year, you know, forty, yeah, four-year, forty million dollar deal to me sounds about right. But there's a like a, you know, three, four million in either direction that I don't or that I still feel like could be up in the air based on how this year closes yeah i i get what you're saying right there i'm thinking more like 324 with a team option for uh for a fourth year or even a player option for a fourth year um but yeah i mean we're in the same ballpark what i don't think he's getting is a 448 or a or a 454 like i think at, at some point there was a a opportunity for him to be a guy who made 14 million a year i don't see that at this point i mean he's got a lot of recovery his injury really did come at like the completely the wrong time for him right because now he he's going into his restrictive free agency years and it really he's not a player who's on the rise he's a player who's trying to recover and come back and um i, I think his value a little bit like marvin ba bagley is kind of all over the place you just don't know, and it only takes one team. But six point six million. There's no way the Kings don't extend that qualifying offer. I guarantee you, 
they love that guy. They they went out and got him very specifically to be on this team, to be part of this team. And I think they envision him as a long-term fit next to Fox, but I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think he works either way off the bench um, or or as a starter. Uh, and I think, you know, again, his versatility, his ability to work multiple positions is huge. He's a better rebounder than I thought. Uh, the fact that he had five steals in his second game with the Kings, I thought was pretty impressive. And I was also surprised that was his career high because just the way he plays and the, the players he's played with in the past, like when you're one of your, uh, like anchors on the defensive end is Giannis Antetokounmpo. That means that anytime the ball goes near him, like other teams are afraid of him because of his length. And so you end up getting bad passes all the time. It's sort of like the Davion effect when Davion gets into somebody, which he needs to do more of again. But when he gets into somebody, it causes other people to make mistakes, right? And DiVincenzo seems like an opportunist. Like, how has he not had five steals in a game before? I know that seems like a high number, but we're talking about a guy who is almost a defensive specialist, right? Yeah, I was definitely surprised by that. I yeah, when he when he logged five, I was like, I guess I should check. And I was like, wow, this really is his career high. Um, yeah, I mean, this is also the second most minutes he's played. I mean, this is only, what, game 19 so far this year. This is the second most minutes he's played all year was in that Brooklyn game. Um, but obviously those previous years throughout his career as well. Um, yeah, I, I was definitely surprised by that. I think that, um, yeah, I've been surprised by his passing a, a little bit, um, just some moments and then the, I think the other aspect is I just don't think he's a great finisher around the rim. Um, I think there were some moments, I, I think everybody was guilty of it yesterday in that Brooklyn game. There were multiple missed layups from a handful of guys, it felt like. Like, that was just a very frustrating game when it came to hitting decent looks, I think. Um, but I think that Dante's not a great finisher around the rim. He doesn't really take any mid-ranges. He's, he's a very, like, at the three-point line or at the rim type of player. Um, and in a half court setting, when he gets to the rim, I think that he struggles a little bit. So he does very much have this like three and D specialist to him. And unless his game can expand beyond that, um, that, that puts a ceiling on him. Do you like him better as a player? Uh, at, I mean, we're going to talk about age in, in this equation, but who do you want to see on the court, him or Justin Holiday? I, I mean, I'd rather see Dante. Um, I mean, I'd rather see both over Mo Harkless. My my favorite lineup that I think we saw for a little while in uh, the, I believe it was the Washington game, is Fox, Mitchell, DiVincenzo, Barnes, and Sabonis. Yeah, that's fun. That's but I don't know that that's sustainable for for a starting lineup. Like, uh, yeah, maybe maybe it all is, your playmakings but... in the one lineup. Yeah, all your playmakings in one lineup and. You don't have enough shooting. You don't. I'm, I've am i been kind of surprised how uh, Sabonis, like I thought he, he, I mean, he shot better as a three-point shooter, but his three-point shot just looks, like I'd almost rather see Rashawn Holmes shooting that three than him. Like it, it looks so forced from the top of the key. Like can, I'm wondering if he could, if he's better in the corner than he is at the, at, at the top. Um, but it's a little rough, right? It is. And he just doesn't, take it like how many actual jump shots have we seen from Sabonis in these I mean it's only been three games but I can think of that really gross three uh, against Brooklyn two of them yeah yeah 
Um, so yeah, he had in, a nice maybe, little eighteen footer, some a seventeen eighteen footer. He had a nice one. Maybe it'll change. Like maybe that's an area where he can grow, right? Because playing alongside De'Aaron Fox, and if that's the pairing that he's going to get used to over these next couple of years and and a good portion of his career is the idea that maybe he can expand that aspect of his game. But I have been surprised that it's like we don't see any jump shots from Sabonis, it feels like. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Brendan hasn't been around for this. Uh, he hasn't been on the show, but uh, it is Tuesday, so it's time for Tuesday Overreactions. And this is a, a segment that Sean hates. He, he doesn't hate it, but he hates it. Um, and... To me, this week, um, you know, the Kings win two games after the Sabonis trade. Then they drop a game in Brooklyn against a team that had lost 11 straight, a team that's totally injured, a team that was missing Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and uh, Joe Harris. Um, A skeleton crew, you got lit up by the one guy on the team that can really hit a three, and you let him beat you. And, and to me, that was a defensive issue, like a, a scheme issue, which I've talked about multiple times where the big just isn't showing even on a guy like, like Seth Curry. I, I don't get it. Um, but, uh, during the media session afterwards, there, one of the, uh, the questions that was brought up to multiple players and Alvin Gentry was this Brendan, which is what we're going to look at Tuesday over reactions. This team played free and like was all over the board in their first two games because that's all they had. They haven't played together. There's so many new players. The question was posed that if this team is not in in their third game wasn't very good and the offense went to hell in a handbasket because they actually were coached and had time to have a practice or two and put in sets. And so now the team is trying to run plays as opposed to just being free and play the game. So is that an overreaction? Yes. I mean, I think they also just missed a lot of shots in that Brooklyn game. I know that's a bailout that I've been tired of hearing throughout this year of how much like they just made or missed shots. And a lot of that has to do with a lot of guys taking shots that aren't very good shooters, but apparently we'll just have some nights sometimes. Um, But 34% is the worst field goal percentage the Kings have had all year. And I think that they are a better shooting team um, from the deadline moves. I think you Um, and I are a better shooting team than 34%, but go ahead. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and, and nearly 20 turnovers. Like, I think that once things started to get a little bit out of hand and it, it's easy for a new group of players to get in their head and, and not have something to fall back on. So while I do think, like, I, I thought there were just going to be growing pains with this team. So, like, I think it's more so that the first two are probably outliers for a brand new group of players. Rather, and while at the same time, again, the Brooklyn percentage is an outlier itself in the other direction. I just don't think it should have been expected that this group comes together and gels right away. Yeah, I think the first game they had 32 assists. That was stunning. Like, stunning. Like, that doesn't happen. Second, second any- most they've had all year. Yeah, their second game where they have 29. And then the third game, they had 12. Like, first of all, you're going to lose a rebounding battle when you shoot 34% from the field and you're going to have no assists when you shoot 34% from the field. 
if you took away De'Aaron Fox's uh, night, it got so ugly. I think they're like, if you take away Fox's stuff, they're 26 for 72. It might even be worse than that. Um, yeah, it it was bad. It was they they had ninety shot attempts, right? And he yeah, took 18. 20, 20, They would they would have been instead of thirty one for ninety, they would have been oh, twenty two for seventy two. Oh, yes, which is what you have a calculator there, yep, Brennan. Thirty point five percent. Yeah, that's no bueno. Um, and and how often is Demonis Sabonis and Harrison Barnes combining for 15 points. Like, I, I know we talked about Sabonis post-game, that he said he needs to be more aggressive. Um, I think Harrison Barnes falls into the same thing. And um, if I had to place a Tuesday overreaction, it's that I'm done giving up any sort of expectations for Harrison Barnes on, on the offensive end. Like, you don't know what you're getting night to night. I think he's a good three-point shooter. Like, he's not going to make some crazy mistakes, but sometimes he just doesn't show up on offense. Isn't that interesting? Because I I looked at the stats over his previous 12 games, he was averaging 20.7 a game over 12 games, not over some like itty bitty sample size. I know over five games, he's averaging like 24, something like that. But all of a sudden you just like, you have no ability to, to score and you allow a team and and their backups to, to shut you down. Like I, I was surprised by that. So I get your Tuesday overreaction on that. That that would be like the there are a couple overreactions. We could also have Tuesday overreaction would be that Alvin Gentry has no idea what he's doing and only played uh DeMontis Sabonis twenty five minutes. You tweeted uh, it. Why did what's with pulling him with six minutes in the fourth? Like I uh, I had no like I was stunned. Like and I don't want to like beat on Alvin here because I think what's happening here, uh, like if when you were a kid, did you ever play fifty-two card pickup? Do you know yes. what that game is? Yeah. Okay. When I got bullied. Yeah. Yeah. So someone goes, "Hey, do you want to play fifty-two? You're like, "Yeah, I'll play." And then they go and shoot the cards all over the room, and you're like, "Okay, go pick them up." It's a game you play one time. One time, <laughs> and then you try to play it with other people, and they're like, "Dude, I know that game." Um, okay, so my point is, I kind of feel like the Kings like rotation roster everything just got 52 card pickup and now alvin gentry sitting there like do i really got to go over and pick up all these pieces do i can we just wave like a couple of these guys that i'm not going to have time to play like i i don't have time to put trey lyles in and see if he fits instead of chemezi metu because chemezi metu's worked hard and like showed me who he is and he's one of my guys i can't just like pull him out and oh but maybe i should and I, I can't just leave Rashawn Holmes out of the rotation completely and put Damian Jones, even though Damian Jones clearly did, has earned minutes on this team and should be playing right now. And Rashawn Holmes is in like a huge funk, which we'll get to in a, in a few minutes. But you know what I mean? It's like there's so many things happening here, so many moving pieces. But to pull Sabonis and, and Harrison Barnes with six minutes left when you're down by 15 to a team that already, already let you back in the game two or three times... I was just absolutely stunned. They don't have a game today. They There was no reason to do that. And to me, that was one of those moments where um, I think he just got in his head a little bit about the rotations. And maybe, maybe he was getting the wrong numbers from somebody about how much Sabonis had played. But Sabonis didn't play enough at all. Like, he should have been in the game a whole lot more than that. Because you have to fight through these things as a team 
with the group that you're moving forward with. You don't fight through these things with randos that that aren't going to be here in in six weeks. You got to go. You got to gel together. You got to put these guys on the court, and especially you got to use that as a practice, Brendan. And that's not what he did. Like I, I don't need to see Josh Jackson in that situation. I don't need to see Trey Lyles. I don't any of those guys. Yeah, I think like if I try to find the logic, the only place I could come to was when they made their big run in the second quarter, the lineup was the bench lineup. Like it was Davion Mitchell, DiVincenzo, Justin Holiday, Chemezi Metu, and Rajon Holmes. So like maybe we're trying to go back to that a little bit, um, but that's just me searching for a logic here because it's hard to find one. Um, yeah, I, but if I'm I, not I mistaken, I don't understand it. I think that's the group that got you in, that got you buried at the end of the third, because this team took a lead in the third. They they took a yeah, one point lead, right. and then you started mixing and matching lineups again, and you got hammered. Yeah. And I think at some point, like, doesn't he have to go to an eight man rotation and and grow this thing and then expand out as soon as you you feel like you've got it kind of figured out? I mean, that's who cuts I think. who cuts out that at rotation for you? Because we have our starting five we've seen right: Fox, Holiday, Barnes, Harkless, Sabonis, and then recently we've seen nine. Um, the four bench being Mitchell, DiVincenzo, which I think are obvious ones, and then the other two being Mezzi and Holmes. Who do you cut out of there? Yeah, I got I got to cut Mezzi. I, I mean, again, sorry Mezzi, but I, I need to see Harrison Barnes at the four. I need yeah. I need to see that and and. I mean, Mo Harkless, he he doesn't he's he's mystical in the fact that somehow this team is just much better, just like the Portland Trailblazers were much better when he was on the court then. Like he does something that makes you win. He does little things, but you gotta have spacing. This especially if you have Sabonis and Fox in the starting lineup, you gotta have spacing. That's become as big an issue. I think that's that's what we already know this summer. You got to go find a, a stretch four or a small forward that can shoot the three at a super, super high clip and a lot of them. And, it, you know, it, you got to find the replacement for Buddy Heald. That's just way better. You need a, a three, a legitimate three and D uh, three or a three and D four, in my opinion. Uh, and we can already see it, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that... um one positive aspect there is that like Davion shot has really come around and I know we talked about that a little while ago but it's kept up over these last 10 games he's on almost seven attempts a game at 39 percent like he's hitting at a rate where beginning of the year I think I was very skeptical when he was throwing up shots after we got a little bit of a sample size and now I'm at a point where I expect most of them to go in it feels like he's almost robotic with his shot. Like it's, it's identical every time. That's what I like about him. Like he's so refined and who and what he is. And I think that that's where like, you do need to find different ways to get him um, a lot of off the ball looks. I don't need him doing a bunch of his fancy dribbling every once in a while. That's fine. Um, and, and I like to see him take it to the basket, but I also think in order for this thing to work, you got to space the floor out. And the fact that, uh, that guys like Justin Holiday and Dante DiVincenzo can't hit the broadside of a barn right now um, as far as three-point shooting. Um, I get it. Like, he's searching for things. And as far as Alvin Gentry, he's searching because his team will look a lot different when those things are actually working. When they're not working, it makes things look ugly really, really quickly. And you don't want to live and die by your ability to shoot the three. But this is the NBA. You live and die by your ability to shoot the three right and and so 
I think the fact that those guys aren't coming through, but Davion is, it it should earn him a look. I I don't know that I'm okay with him being the starter. Um, other people are, but I, I'm just I want someone who's you know bigger and stronger and longer. Um, I, I even had someone compare him to uh, Kyle Lowry, and in an email to me, I, I and I would say that the one difference I would think between Davion and Kyle Lowry. Uh, number one, it took Kyle Lowry forever because he was stuck on a bench forever to learn the game and all that. But he came into the league at 20, and he had all that time to grow into the player he's going to be. Davion's already 23. Like, he's got to be who he's going to be, like, next season because that's where you're at. You're in a position where there isn't a waiting period for you to get better. You you already lost your waiting period as you were going through your college career. And... Um, you know, that's not just a total dig on Davion. I think he can play in the league for a decade for sure. And probably more than that, because he's a guy who takes care of himself and he's not an above the rim player. Um, but like you got to, f- I think Alvin, the biggest uh, like thing I would take away from all of it is that Alvin is searching because he's playing 52 guard pickup. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Sabonis needs to be your mainstay right alongside De'Aaron Fox. Like he can't be playing 26 minutes. I don't, I don't understand that. You're talking about the entire offense running around Sabonis to the point where you know you're asking questions of how do you keep the offense in a flow when Sabonis is on the bench, um, which makes sense because as you should run through Sabonis when he's out there. And it's, I don't understand him playing 26 minutes. Um, yeah, Harrison Barnes is the other mainstay. Like that's the big three, right? And right before we're hearing about how Barnes has had conversations about getting to the line more often, about instead of avoiding contact, kind of uh, going into it and being slower with that. And you had seen that. Um, Zero free throw attempts last game. But just to go through some of the games prior, 7 of 9 in Washington, 10 of 10 against Minnesota, 12 of 12 against Minnesota the game before, 6 of 9 the game before that, 8 of 9 the game before that. Like, where does that go? Like, when your offense stagnates, Free throws are where you get to the line, and Barnes should be good at this. We've seen that he's able to. They talked about it, and it goes away. It's It really is weird that it just goes away. It vanishes. He just, like, disappears. But I'll also say this. It's really not that often. It, it really, it's not. Like, there was a stretch here where everyone was playing poorly for the Kings, but Harrison Barnes started out really well. I think the foot injury really played into his downfall like over that that long stretch where he he just wasn't that impactful um i do think that his foot injury lingered um they you know they didn't talk about it he didn't talk about it he didn't have his explosion you know in order to get to the rim you've got to have your explosion you've got to be able to fight through people um you got to be able to use your euro step and still have spring to get off the ground and i, I kind of feel like harrison lost a lot of that um for a large stretch of the season. I think he's been so much better of late. Uh, but again, when you don't show up in one game, are you comfortable going into the next season with Fox, Sabonis, Barnes as your big three with, you know, other pieces around them? I mean, the West is going to get better than what we've seen this year. Like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are coming back. Jamal Murray is coming back. Um, yeah, there's Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Right. There's going to be some changes with um, what we kind of see in the West and, and some of these other teams that you're rubbing shoulders with are are going to have growth around them as well. 
Um, I do think they need more. I think that that's a fine trio, but I think that you need another guy at least the same caliber as Harrison Barnes. And I think that that's the idea here, right, is in my mind when I'm looking at the longer team building of this is that you still have all your first-round picks. You still have Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes who are, um, you know, decent uh, total. um, They they make enough money to be matching salary and deals for players that can be difference makers, but they're also not uh, negative values on their current contracts. So putting those two guys together or even just one of them and first round picks, like I think that um, I think that there's more moves that need to be made. Yeah. I, I, this was stage one. Clearly this was stage one and stage two. I don't know that it can be equally as impactful because I think it's, it's tough to find a player that's as good as Sabonis, but I do think you need to find a player that's, that's at least as good as Harrison Barnes. And if it costs you Harrison Barnes, then you need two of those dudes. You need you need two players that are as good as I, Harrison Barnes. To me, I, I'm okay with Harrison Barnes being on this team next year. I'm okay with the the front office negotiating a a three year extension with him this year. I, I think he's a good player, and I think he fits with what you're doing. His ability to play the three and the four is is really really uh, good at the NBA level. To have that versatility. Um, his ability to hit the three-point shot and to get to the free throw line and to get to the break break people down and get to the get to the rim. All of those are things that I think this team needs because I don't think Harrison hardly ever plays outside of himself. And if you've got a guy who's smart and who plays inside of himself and can really you know be impactful with the other style of players that you have, a speedster and then a big man that does all this creative stuff. Um, yeah. I'm okay with Barnes being here even another, you know, another four seasons because he, I know he takes care of himself. Uh, you're talking about 30, 31, 32, 33 year old Harrison Barnes. Um, as long as the contract is, is solid and, and all that stuff. Uh, and, and I think the Kings will look at that as a possibility, but I also think that, you know, you do need one more big piece and it's got to be equal value, equal value to what, what Harrison Barnes is. You need more of those types of players. Um, we you mentioned Rashawn Holmes there. Rashawn Holmes is under contract for another three years at like right around thirty six million, right? And he just, I, I mean, unfortunately, he no longer fits. And I was surprised that he made it through the trade deadline. I think the Kings didn't get what they had hoped at the trade deadline, but they also look at this. Some they probably have one or two deals already, like that they know that they can't execute coming into uh into the summer when it comes to Holmes but um his mom also tweeted out this week and she deleted it afterwards but that one of his cousins had passed away and it was uh, a very close cousin to him and his brothers and that it, it's overall like he's having a hard time you know the eye injury the COVID setback the other eye injury um and then he loses his starting job just where are you out with Holmes and what do you want to see from him here uh, in, in the final, you know, 23 games, 24 games, whatever it is that are left. Yeah, I mean, he clearly doesn't fit, like you said. Um, I don't care for Holmes and Sabonis lineups together. Um, yeah, I don't really care for it. You're talking about wanting crazy pace on this team. We heard Monty say that a lot as well. Um, yeah, those lineups are whatever to me, and they, and they seem like they're just kind of here and there right now rather than a mainstay. For... 
what I want to see from Holmes, I, I think I just want to, again, feel like he's the hardest playing guy out there. Like, that's always what you had with Rashawn Holmes was that he was just a ridiculous amount of energy and it, it just hasn't been the case anymore. Um, I, he looks discouraged and like he gets... Yeah, like he gets discouraged when there's one or two mistakes while he's out there. I, I think that it is like an overall frustrating situation for him. But to be the energy and hustle guy and for that to have completely disappeared where sometimes I'm like, man, you should have boxed that guy out and you just weren't putting your all into it. Like that's weird to say for Rashawn Holmes. So I think it is a weird fit for him and it's hard to figure out what his ideal role is on this team. There are minutes where I would rather see Damian Jones. Um, but I think that when Holmes is out there, I just want to be able to say that he is giving 110% every single time because that was always there before, and, and I don't know where that's gone. Yeah, I feel for him because when you take away Tyrese Halliburton, right, and Tyrese Halliburton is his primary lob guy, and now you don't have a primary lob guy to go with him, and it really takes away some of who he is. Um, then you see that bleed over, and you see a bleed over onto the the rebounding side of the ball. Uh, you see a bleed over into the defensive side of the ball. Um, to me, like what do you have against Washington? He had six points and zero rebounds. That can't happen. Like he he can't be that guy. And I just think he's in an overall funk. I don't think that it's he's not trying. I think it's that he's not locked in and he's, he looks like almost scatterbrained on the court. Like he, he's just not focused. And I I think he does have a lot going on. Again, he lost his starting job. Uh, It's clear he's not part of the future of this team. That means that he could get moved anywhere at any time once the season's over. And he has no say in that. And you're talking about it a minimum of two years, because I think he has a player option for the third year. But that's a lot on your plate. It's a lot to think about. Um, he probably and, expected to get more money this offseason. Oh, he did. Yeah. No, I mean yeah. they were they wanted twenty million a year. Right. I think well it was eighteen to twenty. They wanted a a four year like seventy two and they didn't get that. And, you know, you lock in for a four year contract when you don't even come close to the money that you thought you were gonna get, that's a big deal and I mean, for him, if you look at it this way, he should be thinking his stars at this point because his value is, is going to plummet. It, his value is no higher. Uh, at the end of last season, his value could not have been higher. And then he didn't get it, get the, the bag that he thought he was going to get in free agency. And then I'll also mention this. Mark Jones brought it up on the broadcast. We saw a push shot from him. Like, where did it go? I just pulled this up. 49% of his... Field goal attempts, cleaning the glass last year were mid-range shots. We're down to 39% this year. It's gone. Yeah, and mid-range, I even think, like, his mid-range and other people's mid-range, like, we're not talking about 18-foot jumpers. We're talking about, like, what is what is their uh, classification of mid-range, 12 to 16 feet? Yes, it's, uh, yeah, four, actually four to um, four to three. So if you go from outside of 14 feet to the three-point line, 10% last year and only 5% this year. Okay. And then from from that point, 16 from feet four to... to 14. 
38% last year, 34% this year. So it's those long, like, free throw, elbow extended push shots that we were kind of seeing or even a little bit closer um, that just aren't there. And a lot of that is, like, him catching the ball there in the pick and roll, right? It's not like – I don't think that's on Holmes to create that shot necessarily. I, I think that it's he, he catches it there and is already in position to get it up. And this year, like – I felt like we saw a lot of dribble handoffs that they were trying to do for Holmes at the beginning of the year, which I don't think is exactly his game. And while some of it is on Holmes, I think there is also an aspect of like he's got to get he's got to catch it in the spot where he can get these, um, yeah, these push shots that just aren't there anymore. We used to have Deer and Fox bolt in and draw the the second defender and drop it to to uh, to Holmes at the free throw line. And then he would do the push shot from the free throw line. We, we that's gone away. We haven't seen that that specific play all season. But then I also I was watching the other night, uh, well last night, and he got the ball where Sabonis gets the ball, and then he tried to make a, a entry pass to uh, Harrison Barnes on the block. I mean, this is a problem. The Kings went out when they signed Rashawn Holmes. Everyone has to remember this. It was to be like in competition for the the backup center spot behind Dwayne Dedman with Harry Giles, right? And Dedman in his first, I think it was his first game as the Kings starting center, turned the ball over six times and very quickly showed you that he is no Domantas Sabonis. (laughs) Like he does not have that capability. Rashawn Holmes, like there's a lot of things I love about Rashawn Holmes. He, he's not a passer. He's not a passer at all. His like his assist percentage show you that. His his uh, assist numbers show you that. Just the general feel. He does not get a rebound and look to fire a ball to half court. That's just not something he does. Which I also point out, whatever happened to Sabonis grabbing a rebound and busting out? We we haven't seen that play since like the first two games. That's that was one of the things that like kind of went away. Um, but uh, like Holmes has to. If he's going to be in Sacramento, he has to adjust. And I, I kind of, I'm with you. I don't think he can play in a lineup with Sabonis. Even they've tried it. They they did not try it against the Nets. They tried it against Washington. And I think the front office is saying, hey, look, we need you to keep his value up so we can move him this summer. Uh, but I, I don't know how this thing pieces together. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, like you mentioned, it's got to be frustrating to watch the guy that's come in and taking your job do the things that you very clearly struggle with at a high level. Like we've talked about Rashawn Holmes not being a great rebounder. Sabonis is a top five rebounder in the league. Um, The playmaking that you get from Sabonis that you pointed out, you weren't getting with Rashawn. Um, Creating for yourself, like same as you. I I love Rashawn. I think that there's a lot of things that he does really well. I think Rashawn Holmes is a starting caliber center in the league. Um, I think defensively is where there is a struggle, but I think that if you got him on – say the Clippers are the team that stand out to me. Like if you got him on a switch heavy scheme that Rashawn Holmes excels defensively. And I think that he can be a top 15, top 20 center in the league, which sounds crazy, but there's a really heavy drop off when you're ranking centers. Um, And we saw it last year and maybe I'm putting too much stock into what could end up being the career year for Rashawn Holmes. Um, But it's just, it's gotta be a very frustrating situation for him. I think understandably, um, and if there's also off the court things going on as well, um, yeah, I can see how this is a very 
difficult situation and adjustment for Rashawn. Um, and yeah, I think there is that complication of like, while I would prefer Damian Jones, I understand that uh, Rashawn Holmes is a valuable trade piece. And if you're playing Damian Jones over him, what does that mean for his value? So it, it's yeah. an interesting situation. It is. Um, all right. So uh, I, I want to close the book on, on Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, when a player is no longer a member of the Kings, I don't like to keep going back to the, to him all the time. Like at, at some point, like Tyrese Halliburton not only is not a king anymore, there's a good chance that he probably would never come back. Um, and it's not because he had a bad time here. It's because when you get traded like he got traded, um, it does kind of leave a, a bad taste in your mouth. And um, so I, I, you know, if you are a fan of this team or if you cover this team, you kind of have to, you can go and, and watch a box score every night. You can watch Indiana games and, and be supportive of Tyrese Halliburton. But I don't want to get like caught in the weeds here where like, like what could have been all the time, because I don't think that's productive for anyone. Um, he wrote for the Players Tribune. And to me, it was like a raw, emotional, like extremely well-written article by uh, Tyrese where he broke down um, just how emotional the day was, how he found out that he was going to be traded. Uh, the Kings did do do right by him, by his agent did call him beforehand. And then before the trade actually happened uh, and was announced, um, Monty McNair called him himself and they had a conversation which uh, Ty goes through even like texting the group text with his teammates and everyone's response. And they thought he was messing with them, all of that stuff. Just what was your takeaway, especially, um, you know, we're, we're going to laugh about this, uh, about your tie to Tyrese, um, because you, you do have a good relationship with him. And, um, that was pretty hard to read, wasn't it? It was, um, yeah, I mean him talking about wanting to be in, the guy that changes the direction of the franchise. Like I know that we've heard that, but to see him put it in writing and kind of in words himself, I think was a little different. Um, yeah. And you know, like we heard, I think it was Matt Barnes said that Tyrese cried when he heard the news and like, I didn't put too much stock into that. Um, so to hear like Tyrese say it himself, um, I think just cemented that like that much for me. And, I think it's just it's the little things in this that that got me weirdly where you still feel Tyrese's personality in it where he says um the the line I have here is uh quote and that was that from no way to trade it in 30 minutes I've literally waited in line at Cold Stone for longer than that um like I, I thought that was hilarious he talks about um you know yeah being on the phone with all these guys that he wanted to be the next C-Web for the city and just all the ties that he was building with, whether it be the barber that he had here or, um, yeah, just, just trying to be a member of the community where... Buying to, local. Yeah, where to me, like, there was a lot of great things about Tyrese on the basketball court, but I think to hear him say how invested and, and from his mouth of how invested he was in the community and changing the franchise and, and being a member of that community um, just... Yeah, it definitely was. It was a lot to read. Yeah, it was hard. Um, you know, I've covered, God, I don't even know at this point. It's got to be close to 200 players. 
um, over my my stretch here covering the team for the last twelve years, at least at least that many, um, and you do get uh, like invested in them as players, and you don't have a you're not allowed to be a cheerleader for them or to uh, like that's not what the job is. The job is to is to critique them, is to uh, to tell their story sometimes. To you know, there's all kinds of different avenues that that are your job, but none of them is to be a fan of them. Um, that doesn't mean you can't be a fan of the person that you can't enjoy to be around someone very specifically and like their, who they are, their spirit, their essence as a person, because we do get to like have that, even though it's, it's very restricted at this point because of COVID and we're not going in the locker room, we're not getting that, that full on, you know, one-on-one, like having quiet conversations with the guys and stuff like that you are still getting a lot of, you know, I, I think the one cool thing about like the playfulness that he had with you here in Sacramento is that is something that we would have got more of in the locker room. It's more of a personal connection and we just lack that at this point. And, uh, and a lot of it is because just of the situation that the world is in. So um, I wish uh, Tyrese nothing but the the best. He is, a very, very good young man, and I, I think he's going to be a really, really good basketball player. And I'll say that, and I'll also tell you that I think the Kings did the right thing for their franchise um, because I think Sabonis is two years ahead of where Tyrese is, and you just can't keep being bad forever. And I think the Kings did a, a reboot that hurts, but I still think they did the right move. You don't have to agree with me. Uh, no one does, but that's just my personal take on it. Yeah, I think it's still TBD. Um, I like just the whole team control aspect, and yeah, um, you know, my question for you is how rare? Like we we've heard a lot with this whole Tyree situation that it's so rare for a guy to want to be in Sacramento to the extent that Tyrese did, and I wonder what you think of how rare that is. Like I know it is, but. Didn't De'Aaron have this at first, too? And it feels like that's faded. Like, Domas has come here and said that very quickly. But, like, while that's there initially, you can't count on that sticking around, right? Yes, you can. Um, like, look, I, I think that most NBA players can separate the value of um, the value of wins and losses versus the value of the community that they're in. And... To be honest, I don't think it's that rare. Like, I know players come to Sacramento, and they love Sacramento. Like, I'll bring up DeMarcus Cousins, for example. DeMarcus Cousins uh, held basketball camps at Sac High. He paid for the scoreboard at Sac High. Um, he, he partnered with VSP and paid for eye exams and glasses for underprivileged youth in Sacramento. Um, a young uh, high school kid at Grant High School um, was shot and killed uh, the day they had a playoff game. If I'm not mistaken, they had a playoff game that night, and he was walking down the street, a football player at Grant High School. Um, DeMarcus Cousins paid for his funeral, um, and that was not supposed to be known that was somebody got a big head about it and went out and started talking about it in the media. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins had no intention of that being made public. Um, 
I think when you get to, you know, Justin Jackson, um, you know, again, he, he wasn't here that long and instantly started putting together a, a foundation to build a, uh, a place for autistic children to go and learn and um, a, like a community center for autistic kids. Uh, Jason Thompson was a huge, huge member of the, of the community who had, um, he put on, uh, basketball clinics for underprivileged kids. Um, like, look, there are a lot of people that come to Sacramento, fall in love with the city, fall in love with the, the laid back culture that is Sacramento. And, and then also the surrounding areas, like there, it may not, you may live in like a subdivision with houses smacked up against each other. Most of these guys don't. They usually have much bigger houses and they have a little bit of property and stuff. But uh, the fact that you can go anywhere and it's a hub as far as the airport, uh, Tahoe's close, Yosemite's close, San Francisco's close. Um, those are like, we say those things, but like when you live here, you don't end up going to those places all the time because you do fall in love with the community itself. So I would love to tell you that Tyrese was so special in that, but Again, cousins went to basketball games and football games in Sacramento all the time, all the time. De'Aaron Fox has gone to plenty of things. Um, and so I think that seems like it's a, it's a little overvalued. And, uh, and I'd even say this. There are a lot of people out there who maybe didn't mean more to the community as far as their play than Chris Weber, but as far as players who are more impactful in this community, there's been a lot of players that are more impactful um, than, than Chris Weber. So I think what he was saying there was he, he wanted to be the guy who delivered this team. And, uh, and I mean, it's very possible he could have, you know, um, but it's also possible that, you know, that they were, well, they were 18 and 36 when they traded him. This team just wasn't good and you had to do something. Um, So, I hope that answered your question. Did that answer yeah, your question? It definitely did. Yeah, I, I was curious. I figured you were the one to ask on that. So, um, yeah, that's you definitely answered it. But uh, yeah, that's good to know. But it definitely doesn't take anything away from Tyrese. And I, I know that's no. not what you were doing. Um, no. But obviously, you know, I think the whole myself included, the whole community and fan base is going to miss what Tyrese brought as a personality and as a player and. In all of the above, um, but I, I was curious on that. and Figured you were the guy to ask. So yeah, yeah, and, and then I'll say this too, Brendan. Um, guys like Harrison Barnes, you know, it, just because they he does do stuff in the Sacramento community for sure. He's done donation drives. He done, uh, Ben Mclemore did backpack drives uh, where he he would get you know a couple of thousand backpacks with all kinds of school supplies and give it to underprivileged kids. Uh, Isaiah Thomas did the same exact thing. I, I think he may have even taken up the the torch for Isaiah Thomas, but a lot of these guys, they do it in their hometowns as well. And you know, like what the boys and girls club meant to Harrison Barnes growing up, um, is just um, unbelievable. I mean, they helped raise Harrison Barnes. He's a, he comes from a, a single mother, uh, who, and he has a sister and, you know, like there are a lot of struggles and the boys and girls club stepped up for him and uh, not just in Ames, Iowa, but in uh, Dallas, Texas and in Sacramento, he's donated heavily, heavily to the boys and girls club. He does, uh, 
you know, community-based stuff where they're teaching young kids in underprivileged areas what it's like to have a savings account and what that means and trying to teach them, educate them on finances and stuff. So look, I, I think being an NBA player has, it comes with so many responsibilities and I, we saw it at the Super Bowl, right? Uh, so Wit um, won the, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, right? And he said something about he was, uh, I think he was in Detroit and uh, one of the players came over to him from from the Lions and um, and said, hey man, I just want you to know that I was one of the kids in your community uh, that you paid, that you were, you showed up at our like boys and girls club or whatever it was. And I had conversations with you when I was a young kid. And he said, I made it because of you. And so those are things where I think, you know, again, Tyrese is a guy that can have a major impact in a community, but there are a lot of guys who have, have had major impacts in the Sacramento community and who continue to have major impacts in the, in the Sacramento community, even long after they leave. Um, so we probably, uh, like we're going to get to this, uh, last segment here, which is the business of basketball. Um, this is Sean's favorite segment, uh, which, because normally of course. he, he talks about whatever he wants. And sometimes we talk about movies. Sometimes we talk about other things, but, um, I think with you specifically, the cool thing about having you is I'm going to say this horrible term. Um, you're seeing everything with like, uh, like NBA virgin eyes. You're seeing things like, because when you, you get as deep in as Sean or I have, like we lose a lot of like, I don't know if it's like Christmas morning, right? It, like once you've gone through Christmas morning so many times, it changes when you get older and you have kids, then it's a different Christmas morning. But you know, like I, every- I, I sat courtside the other day just in pregame. And I'm like, man, I'm sitting courtside right now. This is so cool. Like, just quietly to myself, you know, I'm not going to show that or anything. But I think that's what you mean, right? It is. So in my first season, I sat courtside with Paul Westfall. I was having a conversation with Paul in pregame. And Marv Albert and Jim Gray walked up and like, hey, what's up, Paul? And they and Paul introduced me to Marv Albert and Jim Gray. And the four of us just sat there for like 15 minutes on the on the court, like exactly where you were sitting, but at Arco, um, we sat baseline and about halfway through, I just thought to myself, this is surreal. Like I'm literally having a conversation with Paul Westfall and Marv Albert and Jim Gray, uh, like sitting courtside, like at an NBA game on the floor, I'm sitting here. So I, I get what you're saying, but I, I guess that's my, uh, what is, what is your most shocking moment? What is your biggest, like, Hmm. I can't believe this is happening, which it could have been what you just said, but like you, there has to be moments for you where you're just caught off guard by, by what's happening. Um, it might be the initial Tyrese thing, um, of him specifically calling me out. And at first, the first day it happened, I didn't think he was talking to me. I thought he was talking to Sean behind me. Sean did too. Um, yeah, because he had just finished – Sean asked the last question that day, I think. Um, and, but then when he left, I felt like I was being crazy, um, and I was still new. But I was like, no, I think he was looking at me. Like, I think I was making eye contact with him. I kind of, like, tried to ask around a little bit. I'm like, Sean, do you feel like he was talking to you? Like, trying to figure out what was going on. And then they went on the road, and uh, he made it very clear. 
I didn't have a great question that day, but I felt like I had to ask one to see if he was talking to me. And then he made it pretty clear. And I think um, just joking around with Tyrese Halliburton was probably like that first moment for me. Um, And, you know, like Ty DM'd me the other day when he got traded. And just like, it's like those things where if I were to tell myself that a year ago, I just wouldn't even believe it. You know what I mean? That I'm just having this casual back and forth with Tyrese. And um, and I think that maybe, maybe my very first um, holy crap I'm here moment was the first day that I was there credentialed. I was walking to courtside pregame. Um, and I don't know where I'm going. I was walking there by myself. And the directions they give you is uh, take a right at whatever door that there's no label on this is the media press conference door or whatever or maybe i'm not paying enough attention and then they say walk down and this black wall will be on your left and it's like a maze i'm like i don't know where the heck i'm going right now um and i go towards the direction you walk right past where the visiting team walks into their locker room and they're playing the pelicans that day and i'm kind of just like wandering trying to figure out where i'm going and I turn around, and Jonas Valanciunas is right behind me. And Valanciunas is ginormous. And I, I think that was my first, like, oh, crap. That I just casually ran into an NBA player trying to figure out where I'm going right now. Um, and it's funny because Valanciunas, Valanciunas is one of the few guys in the league that I don't love. Um, but, yeah, that, I think that was my very first. Outside of the whole interaction with Tyrese and, and that being very cool, um, my first holy crap I'm here was just randomly bumping into Valanciunas while I'm trying to figure out how to navigate the underside of Golden One. Uh, I'll tell you this. When I, my first year, I didn't get like, uh, like looking around, like I wasn't like, oh, this is, oh, you know, the Kings players. You don't get like, I, I didn't get starstruck um, initially, I, which I, you don't know. Like, I didn't know how uh, I'd I didn't react. either, weirdly. Yeah. And I was standing on the court and I think it was, Jason Ross and Sean and someone else were standing on the court in pregame and Dominique Wilkins came over like, Hey, what's going on guys? And like, because he's media, he's like, he just came over and hung out with the media guys and we're standing there talking. And I'm like, Holy cow, that's Dominique, you know? And that, that was a one where I'm like, okay, you had your one. That's fine. You know, since then, like I've, I've had the privilege and it is at the end of the day of, of talking to sitting courtside and, and interviewing Patrick Ewing or being at the hall of fame induction and talking to Hakeem Olajuwon and, uh, and, um, you know, I've talked to Bob Lanier, you know, I've, I've interviewed like the list of people that I've got to stand and, and have conversations with. It's just nuts. It's crazy. And so that's, that's a, a huge fun part of it. But I'll tell you, so one thing you said to me in that, that first saying is, you asked another question. So when you do step in it or when you do have a player that is frustrated with you or or whatever it might be or, or you know, you call Tyrese out for playing bad defense, um, when you do have that moment, you got to show up the next day and you got to ask a question because that's that's the game. If you can't let them think that they got you, that they, that they got under your skin or beat you down, uh, the time I hit uh, Francisco Garcia in the face with a ball. Um, sorry, 
I showed up the next day and he like, what's up cameraman? Cause I was taking pictures and like showing up like every day, man. All right. Good for you. Keep showing up. Those are, those are the moments where you're like, okay, it doesn't matter. I, I, I got to keep coming in and I got to keep doing my job. And it doesn't matter if, you know, whoever it might be gets, uh, like lays into you or, or says something or surprises you, uh, the best thing you can do is just fire back and keep asking questions. Yeah, totally. And I think it helps to not put out crazy things initially. Like if, if the things that you're saying in the first place are well thought through and things that you can defend, then it's easy to show up the next day. Because if you want to come at me, I have my side of the argument. The whole thing with Tyrese, like, sure, give me a hard time, bro. You had three assists tonight, but you can't act like they're hedging because they will not switch you on to anyone like as long as you're not too crazy in the first place it's not horribly hard to defend yourself yeah you got to be balanced and fair and if you can stand by your argument then that's fine um all right so hey do you have any final thoughts i don't um no i don't think i do that right. comes to the top of my head anything for you uh no i mean i think the biggest thing is uh thanks to all the the new followers the new supporters of the King's Beat, the King's Beat podcast. Um, this thing blew up on uh, on YouTube over the last couple of the last you know two weeks, um, and we're, we're killing it numbers wise on audio as well. We're having a good time, um, and uh, so thanks to all the new subscribers and the the new listeners and people who are uh, getting in here and enjoying the work that we're doing. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, you're you're at least watching it, so you must be enjoying part of it at least. Um, and then we, we've got a big week. So Thursday night, uh, Thursday, we'll be back for another podcast. Um, the Kings finish up their first half schedule on Wednesday. Um, Brennan, who do they play? I don't even know what the last, Oh, Chicago, Chicago. Chicago that's going to be entertaining. Um, but, uh, on Thursday, of course, we'll have another pod and then, uh, we'll roll into the evening, uh, from five thirty-seven. We're going to have the happy hour. If you, you want to get on board for the happy hour. It's it's an absolute blast, and I'll be there. Uh, yeah, Brennan's going to be there, and uh, and Jerry Reynolds is going to be there, and it's going to be it's going to be more storytelling like what we did we do during the business of basketball. So if you're not um, if you're you're not quite sure what we do in the happy hour, um, first of all, James has a few drinks during the happy hour, which is that happens. Uh, I think old fashioned's the first one. Dirty Martinis, the second one. I don't know. I might go back to old fashions this time, um, but uh, it's well worth the experience. Um, also, look for the the Kings Beat merch shop. Cool stuff is coming, um, and uh, become a sub- subscriber, a premium subscriber to the Kings Beat. We're growing every day, and it's been a lot of fun doing this. And uh, we look forward to a lot more uh, time doing it. So, for Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse and the Kings Herald. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We'll see you on Thursday. Be well.